Play Ball. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst for Sports Info Solutions. Our company develops analytics and provides them to MLB teams, media, and fantasy baseball outlets. We'll give you a peek into our world, talk to important people around the industry about analytics storylines, and try to make the numbers cool, fun, and interesting. On today's show, we'll be joined by our first player guest. We got the chance to talk to Giants outfielder Kevin Pillar about what we might call Superman catches, plays in which an outfielder had to leave his feet. More on those in a moment. My colleagues Andrew Kine and John Becker will review their latest research and more. And of course, we'll have the ridiculous numbers of the day. We start the show with our opening monologue, which we'll call... Batter up! Oakland A's utility man Chad Pinder was the runner-up for our Defensive Player of the Month award in July. So why am I talking about him instead of the winner, Padres outfielder Hunter Renfro? Because Pinder's defensive contributions were distinct. Pinder had at least one defensive run saved at four different positions last month. When he wasn't making sliding catches at the corner outfield spots, he was doing his best impersonation of Matt Chapman at third base, or filling in at second. Pinder finished the month with six runs saved, and his eight good fielding plays were one off the lead for non-first basemen. First basemen tend to get more than others. Left field has been Pinder's best position, though it's not his natural one. Pinder came through the minors as an infielder, but those positions were taken at the big league level. A's bench coach Ryan Christensen loves the transition Pinder made to the outfield, particularly in how Pinder anticipates where balls will go. He's able to burst well because of his first step. He's got enough speed to cover the ground on the second one and a half seconds. So he's able to get to a lot of balls uh, without a ton of speed that uh, some outfielders aren't able to get to with his same capabilities. Pinder has 15 runs saved in a little more than 600 innings in left over the last two seasons. But this is a time when versatility is prized. The A's are 34 and 20 when he starts in 2019. There's added value in being able to move someone all over the field. It allows a team to gain advantages somewhere else. Those add up. And given where the A's rank in payroll, 25th, this kind of versatility fills a significant need. Pinder may not be Matt Chapman or Matt Olson, and his offensive numbers don't exactly scream out stardom, but given the A's recent spate of outfield injuries, he's extremely important to both their present and future success. Kevin Pillar has ranked as one of the top defensive outfielders in the game by defensive runs saved. He won a Fielding Bible Award as a center fielder in 2016. He's well known for making impressive defensive plays. In fact, we open the interview by telling Pillar how he's made the most catches by jumping, diving, and sliding of any outfielder in the last five seasons. Here's what he had to say about that and more. Keep in mind that we talked to him last Tuesday. He crashed into a fence in Philly on Thursday, missed a game, but was back on Sunday. We're glad he's all right. All right, so my first question is telling you that stat. Don't some of those catches hurt? Uh, Yeah, some of them do, but um, ultimately I bought into, uh, you know, my jobs when I'm out there playing center field or the short time I spent in right field is to just go out there and make plays. Um, You know, I've learned... To separate the offense and defense in this game, regardless of how I'm going offensively, I feel like I got a job to do defensively, and um, you know I'm willing to, to lay my body on the line to to make it happen. When you hear a stat like that, what do you what do you think about? 
Um, I think it's a, it's a pretty cool statistic. There's a lot of stats out there that can, um, you know, make you feel good about yourself um, and what you're doing out there. It's, it's nice to know that stuff like that is being tracked. There's also a lot of statistics out there that, um, you know, m- might not be in your favor and you might not fully understand how to improve on that. But, you know, the one thing I do know is uh, I have the ability to, um, you know, lead my feet and make plays. And that's a stat that kind of tells the story of your career, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I would say a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've been known as a good defender in my career, if, if not a, a lead defender and uh, a guy that goes out there and, and plays hard and is, is willing to sacrifice his body for the, the betterment of the team. So to, I don't want to say to be rewarded, but to be at the top of that list is, um, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's positive to see because uh, I enjoy doing it, and um, it's nice to kind of be rewarded with something like that. When did you first start playing like that? I played like that my whole life. You know, I, you know, I caught most of my life um, in Little League, but still, you know, blocking balls and even my feet was uh, something that... Um, you know, I wasn't afraid of even at a, a young age. And, you know, as I got into, uh, you know, kid pitch at that pony level and, and more so like with all-stars when maybe there was a need for me being, you know, athletic to play other positions, whether it was the outfield or the middle infield or wherever it was kind of called upon me to play, um, I just really allowed my athletic background to take over playing other sports growing up, uh, you know, mostly football and basketball. But I think that's really kind of where I learned the ability to be athletic and the ability to kind of be fearless on the field. Who were the people who were instrumental in teaching you how to do that properly? I think just my dad and my brother just growing up, playing in the backyard, playing at the lake, whether it was throwing the football around, throwing the baseball around, uh, whether it was playing football games in the backyard or at the lake with, you know, my brother and our friends and our cousins, um, whether it was diving in the pool, imitating my favorite wide receivers growing up. I think it just allowed me to just, like I said, most importantly, be, be an athlete first and um, you know, I learned the skills in order to play baseball at a high level, you know, as I got older. But the, the, you know, the most important thing for me growing up before I decided that this was the path I was going to play, take, um, was to experience all the different sports. You know, I played all the sports growing up, um, soccer, tennis, golf basketball, football, baseball. I played roller hockey when I was younger. Um, I rode dirt bikes. I wakeboarded. So I think all that just allowed me to stay athletic. And, you know, as I got into college and played baseball for the first time, I started to um, really hone in on my my baseball skills. That's allowed me to uh, compete at this level and, you know, in some ways kind of flourish at this level. But, um, you know, I would... I always look back to maybe like 13 years old. I started to play the outfield a little bit in, in All-Stars and started leaving my feet a little bit. And um, Is there one catch you made that you really liked from back then? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard for me to d- describe it, but I know there was a time I left my feet and there was a time I didn't leave my feet and I had brand new Oakley sunglasses and they were 
my dad had bought them for me, my parents had bought them for me, and they were, you know, expensive, $200 or $200 plus. And I remember not diving for a ball. My dad took them away from me because I told him I didn't want to break them. So I didn't get them again until I got to high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I made the transition from, you know, a middle infielder to the outfield in high school. Um, due to my high school coach, just knew that I was an athlete, that I was playing football in high school, I was playing basketball, and he felt like me getting out in center field would allow me to be the best version of myself and at that time didn't really have a whole lot of uh, skill level as far as playing the outfield I just kind of really relied on athleticism treated it like I was a football player that I was running routes and just told me to put this big glove on and go get it and um, you know from from that time on um, you know I've exclusively been a center fielder and outfielder and I've I've learned a lot along the way as far as um, skills and reading balls off the bat and learning swings and understanding how pitchers are going to attack hitters and what hitter strengths are and I think that's really allowed me to to be an elite defensive outfielder. Explain to the, the average fan some of the things that you talked about their skills and reading swings off the bat. What are some of the things specifically? Yeah, I mean, in center field, you, you have the luxury of having a, a pretty straight-on view of the bat, and uh, it's just something over time that I've learned through just repetition, uh, most, mostly in batting practice, learning guys' swings, um, kind of reading where the barrel of the bat is at right before contact, and it allows me to anticipate whether the ball is going to be pulled, whether it's going to be hit up the middle, whether it's going to be hit the other way. Um, when I look back on a lot of the really good plays I made defensively, I feel like I've already even. I'm either leaning in the direction the ball is being hit or I've already taken a step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there would be people there would be people that could view this statistic as um, negative in the sense that there's a lot of great outfielders in this game that maybe aren't on this list because they don't have to leave their feet but I'm also playing a a premium outfield position without premium speed you know I'm a slightly above average runner Um, I'm not an elite runner by any um, statistics Um, you know I rely on good instincts I rely on the ability to read the swings and um, you know unfortunately or fortunately for me I, I do have to leave my feet maybe more often than some of these other center fielders have to because they have the closing speed that I don't have, but I've been able to still be an elite center fielder, um, you know, w- with what God gave me as far as, uh, you know, just sprint speed. I've, I've made up with athleticism and instincts and, and getting good reads on the ball. What work went into learning uh, your home, your new home ballpark? A lot, you know, um, just making sure I go out there every day during batting practice and positioning myself in a bunch of different positions. Some days I would play really narrow and see how the ball would carry over my head. Some days I would play really deep. Some days I would let balls land in the gap and see how they're going to play off the wall. Um, it was definitely a more difficult transition than I thought it would be uh, coming from the Rogers Center, which is a pretty traditional um, as far as dimensions. It's, it's pretty round, even distance in left and center gap. 
the wall heights, you know, roughly the same. You're not really dealing with a lot of elements a whole lot there. Uh, occasionally when the roof's open, you have the sun and maybe some shadows. You know, wind doesn't really affect uh, the play much there. And then you get to San Francisco where it's always windy. Uh, there's a period of the game that the sun is directly in your face in the outfield. There's a time of the day when the ball disappears in the sky. Uh, the temperature is always kind of changing there. The wind is not very consistent. Whether it's blowing in, sometimes the ball still carries out. Whether it's blowing left to right, the ball seems to go different directions. So um, it, it was a difficult, as difficult as a transition it could be for someone playing the, the same position, but um, I, I still feel like there's work to be done uh, on my half uh, of, of getting better playing there, but um, you know, I've gotten into a little bit more of a comfort zone there and understanding that um, you know, positioning and making adjustments from pitch to pitch and from inning to inning there is, is very crucial uh, depending on time of day and sound positioning and wind positioning and uh, you know, it's been it's been challenging, it's been fun, it's been um, you know, I've misplaced some balls there that have been uh, uncharacteristic and you know, difficult to um, you know, swallow in the moment but it is a new stadium. It is a, a difficult stadium, um, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job making an adjustment there uh, mid-season. Two other things: uh, the amount of scouting information that's available to you guys now. Uh, how much do you uh, put into studying that? A lot. I mean, we we're, we're given cards for positioning, and um, it's definitely our starting point. Um, you know, we we as players have a job to do. Um, we got to learn, uh, you know, starting pitcher. We got to learn bullpen guys, especially for me. The workload's been um, probably the most it's ever been in, in, in my entire career. Changing divisions, facing guys for the first time, a lot of times uh, trying to figure out eight new bullpen arms or nine new bullpen arms. Um, a lot of times facing guys in the opposing lineup that, you know, maybe I've played against once or twice or I've just seen on TV. So I do rely on them a lot initially to put me in the best position to be successful. Um, that being said, um, we're still human beings that play this game, and as good as the information is, it's not a perfect science. So maintaining my uh, confidence and my ability to reach swings and make adjustments has been equally as important to starting points and uh, where the scouting, our scouting department has done a good job of trying to position us. Uh, I think initially when I first got here, I didn't know our pitchers very well. I didn't know the opposing hitters very well, and I was really relying on that um, and not really making adjustments, trying to just um, be in the right position according to where they were telling me. And as I've gotten more comfortable, as I've gotten to know our pitchers a little bit uh, more and played down a little bit more, I've been able to make some more adjustments out there and feel like I've been able to put myself in um, ideal uh, position to make plays. Last question. Uh, a lot of, I saw on your Twitter, a lot of kids seem to want to be like you. Uh, what advice would you give them, uh, give kids, with regards to making catches the way that you make them? I think it's just having fun with it. I think it's taking pride in defense. I think it's kind of a lost art a little bit in this game. People get so focused on uh, 
what you can or can't do offensively, and I know we all spend a lot of time trying to work on it because hitting is the hardest thing to do in, in, in all of sports. Um, but understanding there's a, a, a completely opposite side of the, the, the game, which is defense, and, and taking pride in it will, um, you know, for me it's allowed me to go through some struggles offensively. Um, it's allowed me to maybe ride out some, you know, 0 for 10s, 0 for 12s, 0 for 20s, knowing that I still bring value to our team defensively. Um, not only by making plays, but leadership and trying to help my other corner outfielders um, be in the right position. Um, it's allowed me to uh, get an opportunity to get hot at the plate uh, and ride out, you know, those hot streaks too. And it's just given me an opportunity to live out my dream and be an everyday center fielder. Um, try not to get caught up in, in some of the struggles offensively, knowing that I have a job to do defensively and that if I continue to work um, on both sides of the ball, that uh, good things will happen. Great. Stay safe. Thank Thanks. Hi, I'm Corey March of Sports Info Solutions, and I'm here to tell you about SISBets.com. SISBets.com is an advanced prop betting information tool powered by Sports Info Solutions. Now you can leverage our proven projections model to find value against the odds. You're never more than a few clicks away from knowing which pitcher may surpass his strikeout prop or whether your favorite running back projects to go over his rushing yards total. Just choose the type of bet, the player, and enter the money line to see the SIS Bets recommendation. That's SISBets.com. Looking for the latest compelling baseball and football research? Head over to SportsInfoSolutionsBlog.com to learn about the latest things we're writing about. We do in-depth studies, leaderboards, and deep dives on the most important players, teams, and trends. Both full-timers and video scouts contribute material to the blog, and feedback is appreciated. If you have any comments or questions, you may contact the author of the post or email us at info at baseballinfosolutions.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS as well. That's sportsinfosolutionsblog.com. We move on to our segment called Instant Replay. It's where we look at projects we're working on and articles we've written. We'll also share some cool stats that we've found. Andrew Kine and John Becker from R&D join me now. John is our research intern. He is wrapping up uh, his time in R&D. Uh, Andrew, the first thing that I would uh, bring up to you is the Kevin Pillar uh, interview. What were your takes from that? Yeah, there were a few things that, that I really liked from Pilar. Uh The one thing that I think really jumped out to me was that he talked – at a few different points about how he uses batting practice defensively. Uh, at one point, he mentioned it in the context of learning his new ballpark. Another time, he talked about uh, how he uses it to uh, get reads off the bat and, and learn hitter swings. And it kind of got me thinking about what we've talked about over the last few podcasts. Ben Lindbergh was on. He talked about practice plus. We talked last time about quantifying player development, quantifying coaching, things like that. And it makes me wonder how teams can start to leverage uh, some of the new statcast metrics like first step, reaction time, jump, things like that, and sort of identify you know potential players who can improve on that, and then actually figuring out how to do it, how to improve it, and whether that's you know going out during batting practice, getting early work, doing other drills, things like that. Uh, I thought it was was interesting how he's sort of. Uh, maybe ahead of the curve in, in how he prepares uh, in the outfield. And 
another thing I liked was that he he acknowledged how one reason why he might be at the top of the jumps and dives list was that he doesn't necessarily have the premium speed that other players like Buxton uh, have. And so they can reach a lot of balls with speed alone that he might not have. Uh, but it still shows a way that he's able to finish plays and how he's still athletic at the catch point, even if he doesn't necessarily have really top speed. And then finally, I liked how he mentioned um, how he played a ton, ton of different sports growing up and how that's all really molded him uh, into the athlete that he is today. And I think that there's a lot of specialization now with kids only really playing one sport year round. Uh, but it, it's cool how his style of play has been influenced by sort of a combination of all different things. I liked his honesty. I thought that he understood who he was. And I think there are some players that don't necessarily understand uh, who they are. And uh, I think you see it when some guys come to the plate and they're, these, they're taking these huge hacks when maybe they're, they're not the type of guy uh, that should necessarily do that. And I was impressed with his honesty, understanding that, hey, I'm not these guys. I was a I think it was like a 30-second round pick out of a D2 school. I have to maximize uh, my skills. Uh, speaking of maximizing skills, John Becker, uh, one thing that he's been studying uh, this season uh, with us has been pitcher maximization of skills. Uh, one of the things that we do here is we prepare broadcast game notes for uh, different crews uh, around the major leagues, and we're going to have John talk about uh, that. Yeah, so I think that a big part of researching for game notes is finding things that aren't obvious. And I think that it takes a lot of astute observation. Um, for example, last week I was looking into Drew Smiley, who spent most of the season with the Texas Rangers and is now with the Phillies. And he really changed up his pitch mix in his first start with the Phillies, which made him have his best start of the year by far. And I think that that's something that might not have been super obvious to people who were watching at the time, but it's something that if you just take a little deeper dive and investigate it, you're going to find that. Um, whereas other people might not have even noticed it. And that's really valuable to a broadcast team, especially the opposing team who didn't watch his first start. And they're now able to leverage that stat into their discussions. Sure. And also the idea that a pitcher understands himself, like we were just talking about honesty with himself, he changed his pitch mix in midseason. You don't typically see that, right? No, you don't. I think a lot of pitchers, when they're struggling, just say, I have to keep doing what I'm doing and the results will happen. But a lot of times, whether it's them just being honest with themselves or joining a new team and their team saying, okay, this is what you have to do now, you're leveraging your talents into a way that works best for you rather than what's worked best for you in the past. Um, a lot of times as you age or as you develop new pitches, you just have to change things up uh, to extend your career. Drew Smiley and Kevin Pillar, two examples of veterans that might not uh, have the most impressive stats, but uh, doing what they have to do to succeed. John, a follow-up question. We'll give you our Twitter question this week. It comes from Thor Nation on Twitter, Thor underscore Nation, guessing he's a Syndergaard fan. What stats would you put on your baseball stats, Mount Rushmore? So if I had to pick four stats, um, both that I really like and that I think would be understandable to most people, I would pick... OPS, um, number one, I think that's really useful for hitters just to give a quick look at what they've been doing overall, both with slugging and getting on base. Um, for pitchers, I would look at the uh, strikeout percentage minus walk percentage stat, so you can really just see their level of dominance with striking hitters out and um, not walking many hitters. Um, I would also look at base running, um, probably Fangraph's base running stat, because 
a lot of people think, okay, whoever steals the most bases is going to be a good base runner, but that's not necessarily the case if you make a lot of outs on the bases. And then last, of course, I would use the Sports Info Solutions flagship stat, defensive runs saved, um, giving just a really good, easy-to-understand look at how many runs a player has saved on defense that can also, of course, be broken down by position. So the nice thing there is that you took something from hitting, pitching, fielding, and base running. You didn't take war, though. So it allows the person to weight the things as they wish to weight them with the combination that you put on your Mount Rushmore. All right. Uh, one other thing that we want to uh, talk about, we talked about Sabre Seminar with Dan Brooks two weeks ago. Uh, and we have someone presenting at Sabre Seminar, which is uh, this weekend in Boston. And uh, Andrew Kine happens to be that person. Talk about what people can expect. Yeah, so I will be presenting on four-man outfields, which is something that uh, we've talked about a few times in the early episodes of this podcast. I'll be talking about some of the data that we've collected on it and also some of the research that we've done. I'll be presenting on Sunday morning, uh, and there will be a few of us from the company there. So if you happen to see us, feel free to say hello. Yeah, definitely uh, ask Andrew some questions about what he comes up with. He's done presentations. Uh, he did a presentation in Arizona at the Sabre Analytics Conference that was very good. Uh, this one we have uh, scouted out, and I can attest that it is quite interesting. Uh, so lots to do at Sabre Seminar, many presentations to check out. Also check out Luke Leon, who is... Uh, video editor for us. He will be presenting about uh, working at a Division three college uh, with uh, advanced data and trying to help his school in that regard. All right, last thing. It's time for the Ridiculous Numbers of the Day. Ridiculous Numbers of the Day. Andrew has ceded his spot in this to John Becker, so he shall go first. All right, so trivia question. There is one team of the 30 in Major League Baseball who has gotten positive defensive production from eight out of the nine defensive positions. Who is that team, and what is the one position where they've gotten negative production on DRS? So I've looked at this at a few points during the season, so I have it narrowed down in my mind to like two or three. Is it the Astros in second base? It is. It is. All right. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, a lot of teams don't necessarily have that. They don't have the round-the-diamond defensive excellence. And it's actually funny because Altuve is a gold glove winner. So, all right. Uh, now I've got uh, my turn uh, to, to give one for John Becker. Since we brought up Sabre Seminar, and since at one point we presented at Sabre Seminar about the subject of broken bats, which pitchers break bats the most, which hitters break bats the most. On the pitchers and in the last four seasons, and I think that's, that's how long we've got it for. We might have it for a little bit longer than that, but I believe it's four seasons. The answer is CC Sabathia. Not surprising. He's a guy that throws the cutter. He's a guy that comes inside to a lot of different uh, people. On the hitter side, there are two hitters that have considerably more than anyone else. And I will give you a second to think about it by giving you the hint. One is a National League East infielder. And the other is a National League central outfielder. Who are those two people? Pause the podcast, think about it, see if you can come up with it. Meanwhile, John Becker, what do you have? For my National League central outfielder guess, I'm going to go with Jason Hayward. Pitchers try to jam him a lot. I watch a lot of Cubs games. Um, National League East infielder is a tough one. Um, I'm going to guess it's still a left-handed hitter, um, but I will go with Robinson Cano. 
Incorrect. Respectable guess. Uh, but I knew that you would get Hayward because you're a Chicago guy. Uh, but the answer is Trey Turner. Trey Turner has 67 broken bats since the start of the 2016 season. Jason Hayward second with 63. And then the next guy only has 51. That is Nelson Cruz. Robinson Cano in the 60s. He's got 25. So little ways to go. Let's be fair. That was a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but hopefully uh, people got something out of it, a little something different. Uh, the king of the broken bat, of course, we should just call it the Mariano Rivera Award. Uh, he is the uh, champion bat breaker. And that wraps up this episode of the SIS Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. For Kevin Pilar, Andrew Kine, John Becker, and our producer, Justin Stein, this is Mark Simon. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.